Welcome to the 100 Entrepreneurs Podcast, created to provide veterans and their family members with information, ideas, and inspiration for starting new businesses. This is Amanda Weathersby for 100 Entrepreneurs Foundation. We talk with entrepreneurs and small business experts to learn more about their industries and their lessons learned in creating and growing new businesses. Thank you for joining us. Today I'm speaking with Lori Steenhook, the founder of Capital Pixel, a 3D design firm, and Love Lori Michelle, a jewelry design firm. Lori, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for inviting me to speak. I'm happy to talk with you. Great. All right. Well, first of all, tell us about your background and how did you start your business? How did that happen? Sure. So I went to school for architecture, um, did my undergraduate at University of Maryland. And after I graduated, um, I, I was one of those students who tried to do everything on the computer, you know, kind of back when that was still a little bit new. Um, and I just loved working digitally, um, you know, as opposed to hand drawing, which um, I wasn't quite as good at. Um, so after I graduated, I um, started working for a firm um, in Maryland that was producing um, digital renderings um, for architects and for real estate developers. So what that means is, um, you know, instead of working in traditional sort of 2D blueprint floor plan type imagery, we would take those 2D plans and generate 3D images from them. And those sort of architectural visualizations can help um, really in a, in a myriad of ways, um, you know, helping a community understand a design or helping an architect to visualize something in three dimensions rather than two. And I just loved it. I, I fell in love with the work. Um, it's very much, um, you know, um, creating something um, that people instantly gravitate towards because, um, I, I truly believe the, the old saying that a picture is worth a thousand words, um, it's really true. And so my job out of school was, um, you know, as I tell people now, creating pretty pictures for, for, marketing, for marketing real estate and for marketing architecture. And so I was with that firm for a number of years and um, got lots of experience creating all different types of um, architectural images, you know, from very small scale sort of single family home uh, renovation imagery all the way up to um, city planning kind of level where, where you're talking about multiple city blocks or entire redevelopment. So I got to see a lot of uh, really different projects and sort of dig my teeth into what, um, you know, what was going on in that industry at the time. And I guess this would have been, you know, 15 years ago now. Um, so, yeah, after several years there, I, you know, decided that I wanted to actually do this same line of work, but to work for myself. Um, and decided to go out on my own, and it was not an easy decision to make, but there were a lot of things that appealed to me about starting my own business, um, and I was up for the challenge. So in, I guess it's 2010, 2011, I formed Capital Pixel, 
which is um, a 3D architectural visualization and design firm. And I provide everything from 3D rendering to floor plans to virtual reality, uh, architectural animation, really anything that can help, um, help describe a project before it's built or help someone see, um, you know, really it's a, it's a visual of, of what's to come. Uh, so that's, that's sort of the story on how Capital Pixel started, and um, I still get to use my architectural background every day, and I love, um, you know, the different challenges that each new project brings. And then somewhere sort of a couple years after I started Capital Pixel, I did go back to school and got a master's in visual effects and animation and sort of brought a whole new skill set to what I was doing in terms of how I could push, um, how I could push digital design and and um, you know computer generated imagery in that way. This is the same industry, essential. Well, the root of it is the same industry as the gaming industry, uh, online gaming industry, or the movie industry. I mean, they make uh, visual effects and they use the same skills. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and sometimes I even, you know, one of my elevator pitches that I like to share with people is that I do Pixar, but for buildings, um, because I think everybody has seen a Pixar movie and kind of understands what's going on there. So, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, and one of the other examples I like to share with people is that the software I'm using every day to create visualizations of buildings um, is the same exact software that has been used in Hollywood on past movies. Um, mm. One example that I give is the movie 300, um, which was that's probably 10 years old now. I'm not even sure. But there's a, an epic scene where there's um, thousands of warriors kind of rushing into battle. And the whole scene was computer generated. So it's all these little digital 3D people that are running and throwing spears and swords and all kinds of stuff like that. And it's the same exact software. So the capabilities and applications, whether it's architecture or creating something for Hollywood or, um, you know, creating a, a sort of cartoon, animated cartoon more like Pixar, it's all the same um, set of tools and skills where you're building an imaginary world that, um, you know, people can, people can observe and, and understand. In fact, um, one of the more interesting projects I worked on in um, when I was working on my master's was that they had a team of visual effects artists that were students, and we got to work on some of the films for, or I'm sorry, scenes for the film um, Beast of the Southern Wild, which was an Oscar winner. And there were a couple different um, instances where we were using the digital software to kind of um, – change and manipulate the look of some of the beasts, which were, you know, um, computer generated in the movie. So yeah, the applications are are really widespread. And in fact, a lot of the people that I went to school with, they got the same masters, um, you know, now work out in LA and in Hollywood and, you know, they're working on movies. I'm working on buildings, um, totally (laughs) different subject matters, but similar (laughs) paths. Yeah. And one more question about applications. How about apps? apps. Um, I, truth be told, I don't delve as much into that kind of stuff. Um, I wish I had the time to kind of explore more with that. 
Um, mm-hmm. There are certainly tons of apps um, that, you know, are tangentially related to what I'm doing. Um, one of the cool ones that I like to use is allows me to use my phone to kind of move around an object and scan it in three dimensions. So um, I know we'll talk about the sort of jewelry aspect of my work a little bit later, but um, for example, I could set a ring on a table and use an app to move my phone around the ring and capture the surface, the basically the object itself. And I can then use that file, um, that 3d file to, you know, do anything with, I could match, make a, a similar ring or match something to it. And so there's, there's lots of different applications um, that, you know, are, are involved in this industry that are really cool. Um, virtual reality is obviously another one that comes to mind. Um, there's tons of different uh, apps that are springing up for, um, you know, stick your camera, download this app, stick your camera in a set of goggles, and you can look through the goggles and suddenly you're, you know, standing on the Great Wall of China or you're on the surface <laughs> of the moon. And there's just so much cool stuff out there. Um, so if someone is interested in this field, would you suggest that they go and get a, an undergraduate and then a graduate degree, or are there other ways of getting training to support? Or, you know, for example, would your employees be required to have that, or would you hire people who had some other type of training or movies yeah, or apps? Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, Maybe this is an unpopular answer, but I, I would say, you know, I don't know that a, a graduate degree or an undergraduate degree is totally necessary for this field. Um, what I look for, and, and I recently hired someone full-time um, fall of last year, so I was I was looking specifically for artistic skills and, you know, an eye for things like lighting and composition and to me, um, someone that has a really strong portfolio um, mm-hmm. and can show their artistic skill, that to me is, is huge because I think creativity and an eye for design are much harder to teach than sort of the technical side of things and learning how to use the software that I use. Um, so mm-hmm. I would look for someone who has a strong portfolio, can show me you know, um, a set of images that they've created, whether that's, um, you know, hand-drawn or computer-generated or, you know, anything that sort of conveys your artistic talents and your artistic capabilities, I would place a lot more emphasis on that necessarily than having the right degree. Um, great, great. That, well, yeah. that, that would be very popular among some people, that answer. Yeah, <laughs> Not exactly. as popular among other, others. No, so. need to, no need to necessarily <laughs> get a $60,000 education if, if you've got the right portfolio. Okay, great. Wonderful. Um, all right. Well, how do you go about getting prospective clients? That's kind of the first thing in, in any business, and it certainly is what keeps every business afloat. Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, luckily for me, most of my clients, if not all, have really come from word of mouth. Um, so when I started out, um, you know, many years ago, I had a handful of maybe five to seven clients um, that first year. 
which doesn't sound like much, but a lot of them were, and many of them still are, you know, repeat customers that would come back to me with many multiple small projects. And so Mm -hmm. in the early years of my business, my focus was really on, um, you know, just nailing every project that went out the door and making sure that those, um, that small circle of clients was really happy with the work and would definitely return to me. And sort of once you build up that reputation and that um, consistency with a smaller set of clients, um, I found out that, you know, those people would share my name with other people that they work with. And eventually, I feel like my name and, and my reputation sort of went around in the industry as someone who was reliable and someone who would always deliver the same quality product. And so for me, it was less about... Um, you know, advertising or necessarily trying to drum up new business through cold calls or anything like that, but really just focusing on the quality of the product and the sort of customer relationship that I created and bringing those people back. And, you know, since then, I think word of mouth has kind of traveled and I've each year added, you know, another handful of five to 10 clients. And, you know, after almost 10 years now um, in the business, it's, it's built me a nice little Rolodex of people who call me up regularly. And luckily I've never really had to, you know, go advertise or do anything like that. Um, I will also That's say, great. yeah, in the past couple of years with social media becoming a bigger thing, I think utilizing LinkedIn, you know, utilizing Instagram, which is a very visual thing. So it works well with my field. Um, you know, for some Facebook is, you know, you can build up little circles that um, will come to you and people that can find you and know your name. That's great. Now, one quick question here on the prospects and customers. It's wonderful to be able to get your customers through referrals. That is the absolute best kind of customer to get, I'm sure. But uh, how does every prospect who comes to you turn into a sale or do you have to figure out I need 10 prospects in order to get five sales or, or some number like that? Yeah, I, I wish everyone that, that came to me turned into a customer. That would be the ideal world, but of course it doesn't work that way. Um, in fact, I have a, a folder on my computer labeled projects that just didn't happen. And, um, you know, I send out lots of estimates and people look at them and say, you know what, I'll maybe reach back out to you later. It's not right at this time. So, um, yeah, I would say maybe one out of every 10 estimates I send out is a no-go and um, just doesn't happen for whatever reason, whether, you know, that person's client decided not to to spend the, the money on a rendering or, um, you know, in real estate and in construction, things get delayed all the time. So, you know, there's lots of reasons things don't happen, but you know, a lot of times I'll file those, like I said, in a folder, and then six months later I might email the person and just say, hey, you know, checking in, how are things going, are you keeping busy, you know, kind of just to keep my name, you know, in the arena and, you know, in people's, in the forefront of people's minds so that maybe when something does come back up, they'll they'll call me again. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, there, there are lots of, lots of projects that fall through for various reasons. Oh, good. All right. I'm not good that they fall through, but that, that really helps clarify. It does, it is that kind of world. You don't 
may close every sale. <laughs> but yeah, nine exactly. out of ten is actually a really good number. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and that that definitely varies, um, you know, by season and by by uh, by client. So I'm not sure that that's always the case, but um, mm-hmm. you know, and some months I'm I'm really slow. You know, I've I've definitely had weeks where. I'm only working 20 hours, and in, in those times, um, you know, sometimes I focus on building up portfolio pieces, or I might revisit an old project that didn't um, sort of end exactly as I wanted it to look. And so I'm never sitting around doing nothing, but there are definitely weeks that are slower and, and weeks that are, um, you know, scramble to the finish line at every moment. Yeah. So it varies. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, good. Now, when you're writing proposals uh, or bids, uh, are your prices always the same? I mean, I suppose you're pricing your business in, in terms of hourly uh, time. Is that the, is time the basic measure of how you price? Yeah, that's like a correct. consultant or yeah. Yep. So I'll send out an estimate exactly and say it'll take me you know eight hours to create this rendering. My hourly rate is X, and here's the the expected cost. Um, okay. And now, are, do your hourly rates change based on the size of the project, or how busy you are, or or any uh, of those things, not, or is it always the same? <laughs> uh, not necessarily on how busy I am, but I do have a, a lower rate for doing some tasks that I consider to be not as technically challenging or mm-hmm. or sim- simpler, uh, you know, to put it, to put it uh, another way. So when I yeah. create 2D floor plans um, for, for a client, I have a lower rate than if I'm creating uh, animations, which is a lot more time intensive and, and frankly, knowledge intensive. So I do have mm-hmm. different rates for that. Um, and, you know, I mean, maybe I shouldn't necessarily admit this, but I do think with a small business, there is um, a, a reason to price to your client. So I, I do take into account, um, you know, if I'm pricing something for a heavy hitter, like a, you know, a big worldwide architectural firm, my prices are honestly going to be a little bit higher and a little bit different than if I'm pricing for a single family homeowner that happens to be my neighbor as well. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. I think you do have to take into account, you know, who is this for? Who is the end user? Um, mm-hmm. One thing that I know photographers do, you know, especially if you're shooting a campaign for, say, you know, Nike versus, um, again, the person next door, the number of eyes that are going to kind of land on your final image are, are totally different. So you should be pricing higher for, um, something that would get a lot more exposure and a lot more use and a lot more um, sort of, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, a lot more eyes on it. Um, that's yeah. worth more than something that, you know, only one person is going to use or see. So I think it's important great. to kind of have an adjustable a- scale that, that works for lots of different, uh, lots of different applications. Interestingly, I've been interviewing people for 10 plus years on this project, the 100 Entrepreneurs Project, and Mm -hmm. this is the first time anyone has said that so clearly, and I think that's terrific. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It makes perfect sense, absolutely. Um, So 
Now, every year, do you sit down in the beginning of the year or at the, in the fourth quarter of the year before and say, this is how much revenue I want to make next year, and this is my budget, and here's how many sales I have to make, and so forth and so on? Do you make your own projections as a, as a, a business owner of a small business? I, I do, although probably, I will admit, not to the extent that I should. Um, for me, uh, my, my trajectory or my uh, ideal year has always been, you know, a, a certain amount of growth from the year before. And so um, my goal is really to, to sort of just steadily increase revenue each year. Um, I, truth be told, don't sit down and put actual numbers to that. Um, I found that in my line of work, things are just so up in the air for me, um, mm-hmm. even month to month and week to week, that it's really hard for me to, you know, even gauge anything by quarter or by month, um, the way that a, a, a different traditional business might. So I think that, yeah, that would be important for a certain type of business owner or a certain type of entrepreneur. But for me, um, like I said, my workflow is such a roller coaster that it's it's truly hard for me to kind of sit down and put actual numbers on paper. So uh, I, I guess I have more conceptual goals, like I said, to, you know, steady growth, um, adding numbers of clients rather than um, necessarily numbers of jobs or, or um, you know, tangible figures or numbers. I don't know if that really makes sense. <laughs> yeah. A, oh, yeah. If that's an answer, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I wish that I had a more steady um, sort of gauge. But you know, I ha- I will have a week where you know ten clients call me, and I just can't predict that um, at mm-hmm. this time. Um, a lot of my project turnarounds are you know a week or two weeks, um, whereas. An architecture firm might be able to plan more like three to six months out. It's it's just really difficult for me to do that given the nature of the work and the quick turnaround times. So sure, w- will this become more important as you em- uh, add employees over time and you have payroll? You know. Yeah, I, d- I definitely think I definitely think so. And and part of my hiring an employee last fall was um, so that I could actually let her you know, do the day-to-day work of creating the renderings and creating the animation. And my goal is to focus more on on business development and and finding new clients Mm -hmm. and um, expanding my reach. So, yeah, I think some of the things that you just asked about will become more important as I sort of try to transition away from doing the the day-to-day work of the of a 3d artist and and focus more on business growth and business development so yeah Mm -hmm. i think some of those more um i will say more traditional business practices i think will be more important as i grow for sure Uh, well so looking forward to this this is is an interesting question because a lot of our folks have never networked before in a civilian world and so how do you do networking or how do you think you'll be doing networking as you start to you know improve increase your business development activity yeah networking oh everyone's favorite favorite topic um some, (laughs) some people love it and are really good at it and um for me it's it's 
always been a battle. Um, I am always happier kind of being an introvert in a small group of people. And so networking has always been a challenge for me to kind of put myself out there and, you know, essentially say, hey, buy something for me, you know, enjoy my service and my product. Um, it, it just doesn't come naturally to me. So um, networking, gosh, there's, there's so many places to start. And I think that it's just one of those things you have to jump into and do and not be afraid of. Um, mm-hmm. You know, find, find a local group that um, does something similar to what you're doing. You know, if you're involved in art um, or design like I am, I look to organizations like the American Institute of Architects or um, I belong to a women's real estate group. And, you know, those are good places to start for me. Um, I think there's also tons of resources for starting entrepreneurs or small business, whether you're a woman or a Latino or, you know, whatever sort of category you fit into. There is a group for you. You just have to find it and sort of jump in and go. Um, You know, the obvious um, answers are bring lots of business cards. Don't be afraid to write a note on one and give it to somebody and just say, you know, hey, let's grab coffee next week. Um, let's jump on the phone. Let's, you know, find a situation that that you are comfortable in. And for me, like, I love meeting with other designers or other people doing similar work and, and having coffee. Like, to me, that's very comfortable. But mm-hmm. walking into a big room with 100 people, I kind of freeze up and I start looking at my phone and I'm like, oh, maybe I should go. <laughs> There's no one here to talk to. Um, but the more, the more you do it, the easier it gets. And, um, you know, there's, there's tons of things. If you just Google, um, there's meetup.com is a good one. Um, Eventbrite has tons of stuff. Like you could just type in animation or you could type in um, whatever it is, baked goods. There, there is always something out there going on. Um, and you just have to find a balance. You know, it doesn't have to be three nights a week that you do that, um, you know, find a happy medium. For me, it's, you know, maybe once every other week I try to go to something, um, mm-hmm. hand out some cards, follow up with people, always follow up. I think that's, that's key. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, anytime I speak to someone and get their name, I will look them up on LinkedIn and, you know, just add them as a, as a contact. You never know when they might, um, down the road say, oh, I did talk to that, that person who does that thing. I need to, you know, I need to get in touch with them, see how they can help me. So that's such a good point. Really is such a point. It's not just who you meet, it's who they know. So exactly. Very important. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you've just hired your first employee. And so how did you do that? How did you go about hiring an employee? Um, would you believe it if I told you that I found her on Craigslist? (laughs) Um, Because that's, that's the true story. Um, it's funny, you know, because I posted a couple ads, um, or job postings, I should say, on, um, a couple paid sites. ZipRecruiter was one of them, and there were a couple others. And it was like a nominal fee. It was like a hundred bucks or something to post a job posting on these, these sites. And I got a bunch of answers and responses and resumes, but none of them were even close to the right fit. Um, like they, hmm. they were so far off, it was disappointing to me. And so I decided just to post something on Craigslist for free and see what would happen. And lo and behold, I got, you know, five or six responses right away. 
um, two of which were really good candidates. And so I interviewed those two folks, and um, I was actually ready to, to hire either one of them, and then, you know, the other one kind of fell through for other reasons. But, um, yeah, the, the woman I hired is great. Uh, her name's Riley, and she's um, she's been working really hard to kind of get up to speed on all the things that we're doing at Capital Pixel, and I still, um, you know, I still find it funny that, that she came through Craigslist, but yeah. I think that, that's just to say that there's there's really no avenue that, that um, couldn't potentially work. Um, you know, again, depending on what type of business you're in, it, it could be word of mouth. Uh, it could just be asking around, you know, who's looking for a job doing X, uh, or, or, you know, it could be something as simple as, as Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Great, great. And uh, what have been the most, what was one of the most difficult things you had to deal with as a business owner, small business owner? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I think for me, one of my biggest challenges has been knowing when to do the thing myself and knowing when to outsource the thing. Um, mm-hmm. So when I started out, I was, you know, doing the 3D work. I was doing the accounting and the taxes and um, the networking and, and basically all of the things. And I think when you start out as a small business, that's necessary to do. Um and part of it is just my personality. I, I like to control every little thing, and so it was it was hard for me to sort of let anybody else take on any of the work that I wanted to do as a small business owner. And then I realized a couple years in as I started to grow that, you know, it's actually a better use of my time to hire someone to do my taxes for me. Um, they can do it a lot faster and a lot more efficiently and I can use that sort of time spent that I would have spent doing my taxes doing something better that I can focus on and that I do well. And so I think that, you know, the challenge for me has always been when to delegate something to somebody else and when to do it myself, you know, whether that's designing your own logo or, you know, printing business cards or whatever it is, there's always sort of that fine line between what's going to be a cost-saving measure um, that's going to help me get my business going and, and what's going to be better outsourced to somebody else who can do this better than I can. So I think it's just mm-hmm. finding the right mix of, um, you know, when to spend the money on things that will help grow your business and when to sort of do things internally that um, would, would kind of help save you some money so that you can, that you can continue to grow. Mm-hmm. That's great. I want quick question about your jewelry business because it, you you had mentioned that that started more recently and uh, it it sounds to me as though you needed something else uh, from you know more than the architectural design business you needed something else and you decided to start a jewelry business can you describe that a little bit how did that start yeah, that's, that's a really good way to put it. So with Capital Pixel, um, you know, I was designing 3D models all day that came from an architect, another architect's design. So they would send me files, here's the design of the building, we need you to make it in 3D. And then um, there wasn't a whole lot of um, creative input on the front end of what I was doing. And so I was making all these 3D models of buildings and decided somewhere along the line that um, 
I wanted to try creating other things in 3D that I had more input and control over. And so for me, that was jewelry. I started making little 3D models of rings and little pendants for necklaces and all sorts of things that just allowed me to kind of put on my creative hat and make whatever I wanted instead of, um, you know, somebody else's design. So, yeah, the, the jewelry business was kind of born sort of organically out of the need for another creative outlet and another way to kind of let my designs um, shine through. And um, there was one summer, I guess, where, I don't know, I had five or six different friends getting married, and I decided to make um, custom jewelry for everyone, um, sometimes based on, you know, something from their wedding invitation, whether it was a flower or a logo or a letter or something, you know, just to kind of commemorate um, that moment in time. And a lot of the pieces were so well-received. People just loved them, and I loved making them for friends. And I got more requests and started spending more time with it. And, yeah, a couple years in, just decided to make it, try and make it a little more than a hobby and um, make it a more viable business. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of been my side project and creative outlet. And I just love it. It's, It's a fun way to sort of translate a digital product into a tangible piece. Um, so I work with a local 3D printer and I basically send the digital file to them. They 3D print it and send it back to me and then I'm kind of polishing and you know adding necklace chains or adding earrings and kind of finalizing the piece and then um, sharing it with others. So yeah, it's it's been a work in progress, and I would like to spend more time with it and and do more with it. But um, in the past year, it's 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 really started to grow, and I've I've started having some of my products carried in some local boutiques here in DC, and um, I have a lot of goals for that in the coming years in terms of oh, wow. um, you know how to how to add jewelry designer to my to my resume. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. Um, I, it's fascinating. Now, you're, um, you have two websites, and I wonder if you would tell everyone what those websites are so that they can go and find out more information about Capital Pixel and your jewelry business, which is called Love, Lori, Michelle. Yes, exactly. So Capital Pixel is as simple as just CapitalPixel.com. C-A-P-I-T-A-L, Pixel, P-I-X-E-L. And you can find um, examples of 3D renderings and animations, and I've even got a picture of my dog on there. So um, (laughs) come give it a visit. And then uh, I actually just relaunched that a couple weeks ago, so I'm excited to have a brand-new website after I think it was three or four years old. And then Love, Lori, Michelle is uh, the same. It's just love, L-O-V-E, Lori, L-O-R-I, Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E.com. I'm almost finished with the update on that website, so it's a little bit dated at the moment if you visit it today, but um, I'm hoping to relaunch that in the next month, and I'll have all sorts of new jewelry pieces and um, designs up on there as well. So I'd love to, love to have you visit. Wonderful. Well, great. 
Well, thank you very, very much, Lori. I really appreciate it. And you've made some incredibly good points and given great information. And your, your industry is just so exciting and interesting. I uh, think there are a lot of people who would be fascinated to find out more. So thank you so much. Yeah, happy to talk. Thanks for having me. It gave, gave me a good chance to kind of step back and think about all the things I've actually been working on. So I appreciate <laughs> the opportunity. Uh, and by the way, I'm looking at your website right now, your jewelry website, and I have to say it's beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks so much. 